Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Lincoln Russ. Like we all know that the salvific issues, right? This, like, yep. are, these are matters we can't change on. Absolutely. And that, like, that seems like a really clean, easy line, but we realize that that's not as clean and easy as you think. Cause what, what does, what is a salvific matter? Right. And, yeah. and for Baptists, right. They almost, you know, sometimes they can get kind of wound up about baptism and say, well, you're not even, you know, that this could be a salvific matter. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different tiers. And um, as you were talking, I was trying to pull up some notes that I had taken a while ago because I was, um, I, I listened to a really good um, episode of Ask Pastor John. So Ask Pastor John Piper. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if anybody wants to go look at it, it's called The Expectations of Unity in a Pastor's Life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is, well, maybe that's not the title. No, where do you draw lines for ministry? Mm. Um, partnerships. That's the name of the episode. And, uh, and so he's talking about, okay, how do I draw lines in this and how do I choose whether to be involved in ministry with, with someone or an organization or mm-hmm. whatever. And he really, I thought he did a really good job of explaining not just some of the theological lines, but he was saying like the closer you get down to like partnership and ministry, like what, what, how much theological clarity do you need to have or theological agreement just to be a, a fellow pastor with someone in a local church? Mm-hmm. Like that, that requires a real close alignment in theological. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I can tell you just from not because I've hired anybody, but I've had a lot of friends again who, who disagree theologically and they try to go be like a worship pastor in a church mm-hmm. and they don't align with them theologically and it never works out ever yeah I, within six months they're gone every time mm-hmm. and uh, and I see this I see this happen all the time I was just talking to a Christian reformed church pastor recently and they hired a their church I think against his advice but their church hired a worship pastor who's baptistic mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're like, oh, it's fine. Cause he's just leading worship. Not a big yeah. deal. 
and it's not fine. It's causing problems. It, and it absolutely. Problems. So there's a, a unity required just functionally, right? Yeah. So, um, and so this is one of the things we've been talking about. Um, you know, once you get to like churches being able to work together, right? Mm-hmm. And so like that that's part of the reason why the, the women in office issue has become so difficult in yeah. the CDC still, you know, 20 years later, mm-hmm. functionally, it's really hard for us to say, well, we can hold both positions. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're right. Like coming in and trying to change it. And, and I actually, I have a lot of women friends who are yep. pastors and I'm mm-hmm. a strong complementarian. Yeah. So I can, I can work with them. We can try to figure things out. We can have those kind of conversations and still disagree and still be, mm-hmm. still be friendly. And and there's actually a pretty, again, you can start talking complementarianism and there's a lot of leeway, yeah. but but when we come into like some of the current issues of the Christian Reformed Church, right? Some of mm-hmm. these of sexuality. Yeah. On, um, for one, uh, I, I do think that's a salvific issue. I think mm-hmm. that's a big one. Um, but even, even if you don't want to, so some people get nervous ca- categorizing it as a salvific yeah. issue. But even if you don't categorize it as a salvific issue, just practically, mm-hmm. how do you do ministry together when you disagree on something like this? Um, that's really, mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the real big difficulties. So there's, of course, there's salvific matters, but there's also a unity required just to function in ministry together in a church or in a classes or in a denomination together. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you're totally right in terms of the, the closer you are in terms of working together. Like if you're in the same church, yeah, I think you need to be aligned on so many more um, things because even some of those small disagreements, even in that like, you know, level three issues, um, if you're in vast disagreement there, it's going to make um, running your church and, and leading that flock a lot more difficult. Um, and I think as you, you know, maybe start to spread out, like you said, uh, if it's uh, even in your classes or, or your denomination, I think still there needs to be a lot of unity. Um, but then when it's the engagement um, with just churches outside of your denomination in the same town. I know my mentor is dealing with that um, up in Wisconsin. Uh, there's three different Presbyterian churches, um, the EPC, the OPC, and the PCA, um, which, you know, across that swath, there, there's quite a big um, quite a big range uh, of opinions on different issues. Um, but then also saying like, okay, together, are we able to like have a really strong youth ministry uh, just because they're small rural towns it doesn't make the most sense there um but no i agree with you a hundred percent on like that sexuality thing even if you don't want to put it um up in the the category of a salvific issue i think it then calls into question certain salvific issues uh depending on your stance there um where how do you interpret um you know how are you interpreting sin and grace and uh the law and, and god being the standard of moral standard of morals and um you know the the sufficiency and inerrancy of scripture uh and it being living and breathing and applicable to us just as much as it was applicable to people um in the old and new testaments yeah mm-hmm. the, that that question of unity is it's a it's a sticky one um and yeah it takes a lot of a lot of nuance and uh, a lot of winsomeness um, to navigate some of those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I gave you a hard one and you did well. (laughs) (laughs) 
just preparing you, preparing you for when you get your ordination exam. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, just, I guess maybe, maybe you can choose whether or not you want to answer this question, but, you know, being someone who's grown up in the Christian Reformed Church and is graduating from RTS, are you thinking of pursuing ordination in the Christian Reformed Church or are you thinking of pursuing ordination elsewhere? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that's one I've been thinking about a lot more um, just within the last year as I've gotten closer um, to graduating. And um, I would say when I started seminary, uh, just because functionally it made the most sense to just go into the PCA. Um, I'm in a PCA church right now. Uh, both of my mentors currently are in the PCA. Uh, so it, it made a lot of sense that I would just move into that. Um, also just not knowing as much um, about uh, the Christian Reformed denomination once I left um, Iowa, just because we don't have a lot of yeah. Dutch Reformed churches down here. Um, I was a little bit separated from it. Um, but I think uh, Synod last year uh, was really encouraging um, to me just because I, you know, if I'm being honest, like did not love the direction uh, the CRC was headed and I think it's it's really dangerous to keep punting on issues. Um, so to see to see the CRC like really take a stand uh, and not punt on things. Uh, like I was talking with my pastor back in Iowa um, just about like the consequences of what it would look like if the CRC didn't take a hard stance on like sexuality mm-hmm. and um, what you know biblical standards uh, and views on on gender and marriage and sexuality and things like that on on what it would mean. And, um, you know, I was kind of saying like, I think you guys would have to leave the denomination. I don't think that's a a thing you can punt on. And now, uh, after having conversations with, um, some more people in the CRC and then also, um, just kind of seeing what the potential would be, um, for me to come back, um, into the CRC, I think it's the doors a lot more open. Um, I, I joke, uh, I joke that I have to go pay my, you know, pay my penance at Calvin um, to, to get ordained in the CRC. Uh, but even figuring out uh, what that process looks like too, um, with talking to people about being able to do that, you know, online over a period of years or being able to just go move there and, and do it in a semester. Um, I thought that was really encouraging. Um, also, he was talking, um, yeah, one of my CRC friends was talking to me about that process of, He's like, I'm, I'm sure you'd be able to get ordained, um, you know, coming out of seminary uh, in different classes. Uh, what's the plural of classes? Cla- class I? I'm not sure. I always yeah, say classes. Um, he's like, there's definitely there's definitely classes um, that you could get ordained in um, and, and work towards um, yeah. finishing up uh, that extra semester, that, those extra classes at Calvin. Um, so the door I think is a lot more open, uh, than it was, uh, one of my best friends, um, actually put me in, uh, for their pastoral search committee. He's in a, in a CRC church. And I, I told him, I was like, that's a terrible idea. Uh, I was like, you're my, you're my best friend. You don't want me to be your pastor. Um, uh, but he, he disagrees with me. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But also I've, I've kind of just been going, um, wherever the Lord has been yeah. leading, um, you know, pretty good plan. Cause you're not going to be able to go anywhere else. Um, but he's, he's taken me to Florida and I did not want to move here when I was teaching. Um, and I've been here for almost seven years now. Um, and he's been good and faithful as hard and difficult as it's been. Um, so I guess I'm just going to continue, 
yeah. uh, following where doors open. Um, and like I said, a lot more encouraged to potentially come back into the CRC um, with where things, and I think the trajectory is headed now as opposed to how I was feeling a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, Amen. I, I really appreciate you mentioning that because um, I, I really want people to keep hearing that. So I'm going to just put an exclamation point on that because, you know, and I keep ripping on the banner, but that's okay. Uh, you know, the banner and, and all these other conversations from a small minority of the CRC are talking, they keep talking about all of the damage that's going to be done because of this and all of the people that are going to leave and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But what I want to keep showing people is that actually the decision at Synod has brought new life and has encouraged people to say, yeah, I can come into the CRC. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. going to cause some people to leave, sure. Mm-hmm. But but a number of people saw that decision and thought, okay, like solid young men, pastors like you. So you're going to get some calls, just so you know, because there's a <laughs> lot of vacant CRC churches out there. They listen to my podcast. And they're all going to be like, hey, this young guy down in RTS, he's maybe possibly going to be a CRC pastor. We're going to reach out to him. So, so yeah. there you go. But, uh, but I want people to hear that, like that decision, taking a stance, taking a firm stand, yeah. had people say, hey, now I can be part of the CRC. And actually, right after Synod, I had somebody email me and say, you know, thanks for all the work you did at Synod and, and whatever. Now I can finally, in good conscience, start looking for a church in the CRC to be a member of. They're not even a pastor. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. Lay person saying, now I can start looking in the CRC and in good conscience become a member. And so we're actually, by by shutting the door on some and saying, this is a line where we're not going to mess with, mm-hmm. but we'll leave, but we're actually really opening the door, I think, for a lot more people um, to actually come in and be blessed by by our theology, our polity, our doctrine. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think not only just coming in, I think it it's encouraging people to stay um, too. with, as you see, especially denominations that aren't, you know, that are, that are bigger, uh, like the CRC, like the PCA um, denominations like that, where unfortunately it just seems to be only a matter of time before you start seeing splits. And I think you're seeing that in some of the other big um, denominations right now. And I think, taking that hardline stance like that normally doesn't happen. Normally it just kind of keeps falling away. And then you, you end up losing, uh, I think what I would hope is a, is a large majority of the denomination then, because like, we can't, you know, we can't in good conscience stay in the denomination. And I think taking that hard stance, not only like you said, invites people to come in, but also is an encouragement to what I would say is probably a good majority of the CRC of yes, we can stay and we can, be confident and proud of our denomination, not only of our history, but also what our trajectory and future is as well. Yeah. Well, and what you hit on, I was just reading in my devotions this morning, uh, Philippians one, the apostle Paul says, Hey, just so you guys know, I've been locked in prison. Right. But, but this has been for the betterment of, uh, of of the gospel because Mm -hmm. because me being put in prison, that has emboldened other people to, to step up with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's something I've been noticing. I mean, the CRC, in the grand scheme of things, we're some teeny little no-name denomination that most <laughs> people have no idea who we are, right? Yeah. And yet, you know, after Synod, right, we had pe- big-name guys like Al Mohler and Ed Stetzer and, and mm-hmm. all these other people talking about what our teeny little denomination did because it was a big deal. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was a big deal for a denomination to take that stance. And I think just by us beginning to take that stance, I'm hoping that that will embolden other denominations to also take that stance. And then they can watch us kind of make wise decisions, hopefully, as we continue to live out those convictions Mm -hmm. and watch our denomination flourish. Because like I keep trying to tell everybody, especially even just culturally right now, but just biblically in general, Mm -hmm. um, God blesses when you take a stand and and remain faithful. But even culturally, uh, people are tired of the wishy-washiness just in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. People are looking for places where you're going to just, here's what we believe, take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for denominations that are going to do that. They're looking for colleges that are going to do that and seminaries that are going to do that. And so, um, you know, I, I was just saying, I was just at Dort. Just I just did a visit at Dort. So I was just in Sioux Center, Iowa. Yeah. And, you know, Dort has been pretty solid and just saying, here's who we are. Here's where we're going to mm-hmm. stand. Not going to be wishy-washy on this. Absolutely. Uh, they have their enrollment so high they can't figure it. They're like, not quite, but it's like they're shoving kids in closets almost just to find beds for them <laughs> on campus, right? Yeah. Um, because their enrollment just keeps blowing up because they're taking a stand. And mm-hmm. my encouragement for our denomination, for the CRC, is to do that as well. And if there's anybody at Calvin Seminary or Calvin University listening to this, that'd be my encouragement for you guys as well, not to be wishy-washy yeah. on this because nobody wants this wishy-washiness. No, definitely and, not. Uh, I mean, that's, and it's, it's because like, if you don't really believe what you believe, then why would anybody else want to believe that? Right. Or what yeah, makes yeah. you different or distinct and mm-hmm. so the temptation. And I've seen this so many times uh, and so many Christian reformed churches in particular, and I'm trying to figure out why it's there. But um, a lot of Christian reformed churches, especially during like the kind of the church growth movement, mm-hmm. they were like, well, if we just take reformed out of our name, then we'll be, we'll appeal to a broader audience and then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get more people. And yeah. the reality is they took reformed out of their name. Stop. They kind of downplayed any reformed identity, just tried to be kind of broadly evangelical mm-hmm. and they didn't reach anybody with that. Yeah. And people are like, here's who we are. We're reformed. Like you can come and join us. We'll figure this out if you disagree with us, but this is who we are. This is what you're going to preach. This is what you're going to hear from us. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's that setting expectations, um, and, and people want to be part of something like that, where you say we're unashamedly, we stand here. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that a hundred percent. Um, and I spe- like definitely resonating, uh, with that, you know, if we take reformed out, we'll, we'll attract more people. And I think, um, I think we, we, we've seen, just with the the boldness of, yeah, this is who we are. This is what you're going to get and being really upfront. Um, I think even with people who disagree, I think you see that in, in ministry uh, with, with even people who are like openly rejecting um, the faith, it, as long as you're honest and they're like, they don't want the bait and switch. You know, if uh, I know they talk about like ministry in, in San Francisco um, to like, the gay community. Um, and they're like, Hey, we don't want this whole like bait and switch thing. Like if we, we want to hear what you actually believe. And, uh, I think, I think people, uh, appreciate that, whether it's people who are in the faith or people who aren't, or people who aren't yet, um, just being open, like, this is what we believe. And these are our standards and we're not gonna, gonna waver on those. And we're not going to try and hide them from you. We're, we're not ashamed of this. Um, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be ashamed either. Uh, so 
Yeah, that comes definitely. Down to kind of the buzzword of even just authenticity, right? Yeah. This is just who I am, who mm-hmm. we are. We can still be buddies and we can still be in relationship if we disagree, but this is just who we are. Absolutely. And I'm not ashamed of it. And, and people just, people seem to resonate with that. I, I hang out with a lot of people who are non-believers on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they all know who I am and, and where I stand on things, but yet we're just, we're good with it. And I can speak into things and I don't speak into everything all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You have wisdom on when you do that. And, and uh, I've told people this too, as far as, you know, ministering to the LGBTQ community, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got friends who are, have fully embraced that identity. I've got friends who are, uh, but they all know where I'm at on it and yeah. we can see friends and have a relationship and I can then speak into those things, but mm-hmm. appreciate that I just am who I am and I'm not trying to bait and switch them. And, and yeah. the word I keep getting, I keep getting teased for, cause I keep saying this word clarity all the time, but one of uh, a guy that I, I was on council with a long time and he worked in the uh, Minnesota state legislature for a while. His favorite phrase was always clarity is more important than agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like when you're in a board situation, it's more important to have clarity on where everyone's at than to actually agree on it. Because then you just know where everyone's at, you know, everything's on the table and you can actually then be truly in relationship with one another, but all yeah. of the fogginess, um, you don't really know where anybody stands. And so you're never, it's actually, I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer in, in his book, Life Together, would call it fake community. Mm-hmm. Because you have this unity and this community that's based on not, that's not based on reality because nobody really yeah. knows where anybody stands on it. And so when you can just say, here's where I stand, there's where you stand, we disagree, mm-hmm. but but we can be in fellowship in some ways. Yep. Um, that's, a, that's a really helpful place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, as you kind of look from a distance, I know you said you've kind of been removed from the CRC a little yeah. bit down in Florida, but uh, like what words of, of encouragement would you give to, you know, we have a, I always tell people we have a lot of pastors, um, elders and deacons and, and lay people that listen to this podcast. And actually mm-hmm. lately we've had a lot more people coming in and, and listening, which has been really cool. Mm-hmm. And so we've got a pretty wide, wide breadth of people listening to this podcast and uh, pretty concerned about, I mean, excited about what happened last year at Synod, but yeah. wanted to make sure we remain faithful. So like what words of encouragement would you give to, to everyone listening? Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think the most encouraging thing is like how much change I think can happen just by like the faithful discipleship of individual churches. Um, I like, I I will die on the Hill um, that I would happily get rid of every celebrity pastor. um, You know, even the ones that I like uh, Mm -hmm. if it meant that every church had a faithful pastor who is just discipling them. and one of the blessings of growing up uh, in Sioux Center where my friends throw around names of, you know, big, big name pastors, uh, both, both good ones and bad ones. And my answer is almost always, who are you talking about? Uh, and they're like, you don't know who so-and-so is. And I was like, when I was growing up, I knew who Bernie Hahn was. And I knew who John Lee was because he was the pastor down the road 
And I maybe knew one other pastor, but those were the chief theologians in my life. I, I knew who, who, who Bernie and Chad were. And just, I think that is like how churches should operate more, uh, where, you know, being at RTS, being as gregarious as I am, like I've gotten to meet a lot of the professors and, and a lot of pastors who are affiliated with us as well. And as much as I love them, like they don't know and care about me the same way that Bernie did or that my pastor Justin does. Um, and just the, the power I think that it can be to have pastors who are speaking into the lives of their congregation um, and who are discipling them and not just with, you know, five, 10 or $30 seminary buzzwords, uh, or you get, you know, maybe a congregation's talking actively about supralapsarianism versus infralapsarianism. I don't think we need to get there. Um, but I think pastors who can faithfully bring theology into the pulpit. Um, I, I, I love my studies, uh, but I'm not an academic. I, I want to minister to people. I love the attributes of God. Um, and aseity is a $5 seminary word, but if I can in a sermon or in a Bible study or, or whatever it is, show people why it's good news that an infinite God doesn't need you. And that like, you know, it's, Oh goodness, that doesn't feel nice. It's like, no, that means all his love is genuine. Um, and there, there's no expectation on your side that you can lose that love. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just what God's attributes are one of my soapboxes, but like when you can have pastors and elders and, just faithful fathers in the household who are discipling just faithfully. And um, like we were talking about um, earlier, just with pastors and, and men in the congregation identifying um, not only future pastors, but, but future elders, um, even, even just future like lay leaders um, and, and discipling them and investing in them. I think the amount of change and impact that you can have just in that is so much more powerful than every like top down method you can think of. I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the struggles that I've seen um, like in the PCA right now. Um, I, I think it's a lot more there. We, we change our BCL, our book of church order every year at general assembly. And it feels so much like we're trying to do all of this top down. And then I have my friends in the OPC uh, whose book of church order is like 200 pages and it gets changed almost never. Uh, and it's because I think there's so much investment um, in like that grassroots level. And I think that the change that happens in the local church is so much more impactful and beneficial, but also like future sustaining um, than any any GA or any synod is going to have. And I think that's how those changes should and ought to happen at the synod and GA level is because of the faithful ministry of pastors and elders and, and fathers and, and mothers in the church. Um, I think that's my, my biggest encouragement. And the thing that makes me the most excited um, going into ministry is being able to be one of those pastors. Uh, I don't have, I don't have desires to, to be speaking at conferences or writing books. I, I want to celebrate births and, and weddings and baptisms. And I want to mourn deaths and sicknesses with the people that God's put under my care. Um, and I think that's, I think that's what the church is supposed to look like. And I hope that that's what the church 
starts to look more like um, in the future. Amen. Yeah, you're speaking my language, Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> I just got done. I, I and I just got done speaking to a group of pastors in Sioux Center, Iowa, and, and encouraging them um, to mobilize the local church. Right to just focus on mm-hmm. the local church and. And, uh, and I've said, you know, cause this podcast called the messy reformation. I, I think about reformation. I study reformation yeah. and, and almost every reformation that's ever happened, um, is, a, a renewal of the priesthood of believers, which mm-hmm. is a big part of it. And that's really bringing the authority out of the upper structures of the church yeah. and re kind of restoring, not just authority, but but helping people see like, this is where the action happens. It's not like absolutely sitting back, not the church sitting back saying, well, we'll let the denomination handle that, which has happened for a really long time in the Christian reformed church. Yeah. But saying, no, we're going to do something about this. We see a problem as a church. We're going to mobilize because God's equipped us. He's given us the gifts, the talents, the, the abilities to, to do something. So let's, let's do something about that. And, mm-hmm. and that's really, you know, I, I've told people this as just my ministry strategy has been for a very long time, um, this idea of leaven. Um, and that's the that's the imagery that Jesus gives over and over, right? The kingdom of God is like a little leaven that mm-hmm. is placed in a batch of dough and then it spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. And that's that's not a top-down approach to ministry. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> that's a bottom-up, like the local people being active and bringing about change. And that's really... If, if we really want to see reformation happen, not just in the Christian reformed church. I mean, I want to see it happen in the Christian reformed church, but in, mm-hmm. in throughout society, mm-hmm. um, the local church needs to be busy and active. People need to be equipped and educated and, and ready. I mean, we just need to do what the Bible tells us to do, right? As pastors, what's your job? Exactly. Your job is to equip the saints for works of ministry. Yeah. That's your job. And so if you Absolutely. start doing that, then, uh, then things start kind of shaking and rumbling and then, and then change starts moving up through the ladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, there's obviously, I, yeah, I did also talk about bigger structural changes, yep. but I think any structural changes that need to be happening in the Christian reformed church need to be moves that lower the bureaucracy up above mm-hmm. and, and empower our local churches to be more active in equipping the saints and yep. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the local church is the foundation, not the denomination. I mean, the denomination is built on top of the local church. So any any reformation, any progress um, is going to have to come uh, from just faithful pastors, faithful local congregations. Um, And just, yeah, like you said, the equipping of of believers for every good work. Um, Yeah, that's that's going to be lasting change. And that's going to be the best kind of change. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com. Look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for our conversation with Michael Seville. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.